you've ever heard the phrase the Holy Spirit and you want to know what it means where do you start well you have to start on page one of the Bible where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark chaotic place but then above the chaos God's spirit is there hovering ready to bring about life and order and beauty okay but what is God's spirit yeah so the spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence the Hebrew word is ruach ruach yeah you gotta clear your throat at the end so what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. <sighs> so you feel that inside you. Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply. That, too, is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes, and the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass, and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up, and God's Spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. The story is saying that God's Spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now... Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus, and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the Spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's Spirit. And so today, the Spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the Spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit. We have mixed it up just a bit because of the Easter season. So today we're going to try to get back on track and finish up this 
series in a very strong way. Let me put some things in perspective for you. We have been focusing on the God of the Bible for a few weeks now. It started back in a garden where man broke the relationship with God. A relationship with God was critical to God, so he made a way to reconnect. Sin was temporarily covered until Jesus paid the debt once and for all. Jesus was God in the flesh. The humble Messiah made a wake wherever he went. He preached the good news of the kingdom, realistically sharing with each one, hey, the king is here. The king has come. And living underneath his authority and his reign will look very, very different. He preached, he trained, spent time with some disciples so that they might be able to make disciples. Eventually, Jesus died and was buried and rose victorious from the grave. Since debt was now totally, fully paid, access to God was granted to anybody with faith. Jesus was literally ready to return to his father. The baton was going to be officially passed. So if you would, let's turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Or open your flat screens to Acts chapter 1. But let's begin by praying. Father, we just come before you excited to be able to hear from you. We have been worshiping you and adoring you. We are overwhelmed by your grace to us. And we thank you for that. We do know, God, that, that you are so active. You are so involved. You care a whole lot what happens in our lives. And we just want to say thank you. We pray for all the different churches in the area and all over our land and all over the world. We think especially of House of Prayer with Pastor Abram and Grace Point with Pastor John. And we know, God, that these are just some of the churches that are teaching and preaching about the kingdom. And we ask that you would work powerfully not only here in our place, in our house, but in theirs. We ask you, Father, more than anything, that when we leave, we are energized not because of a song or even of a verse, but because we have seen you more clearly and love you more dearly. We pray all these things in your son's amazing and powerful name. Amen. Amen. So Jesus is passing the baton off to 11 guys. This is pretty much a big deal. He has spent the last three years preaching and teaching about the kingdom. He spent about two of those years just working directly with these 11 disciples. Jesus was now going to leave. His earthly reign, his, his, his earthly time was over. But if we're honest, we look at the disciples and we wonder, all, all of us wonder. 
It's hard not to read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and scratch your head sometimes. The disciples basically had a poor track record. They were faithless and confused. But here it is. This is amazing. Jesus had a secret weapon. He knew about a secret ingredient. Let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to start reading at verse 4. At verse 4. Once, when he, or Jesus, was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I've told you before. John baptized with water, but just in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Lord alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. Actually, at this moment, Jesus is recognizing that these guys are probably not getting it. They, they just aren't. And he's not going to focus a whole lot here. At least it's not recorded that way. Maybe he did. But then he shifts gears completely. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. Now again, we've heard this verse, we understand this verse, we recognize the context of this verse, but it is almost a joke if you realize again who Jesus was talking to. He says, I, I just want you to realize that something amazing is going to happen to you. So amazing that everyone will know that God is in you. Because you haven't been so good at this. You haven't been good at witnessing. You haven't been good at sticking up for me. You haven't really you know, been that faithful. But when this Holy Spirit comes... It's going to ignite you. It will show people that things are completely different. And you need to remember this. When the Holy Spirit has control of each one of us, we won't look like us. We won't. We won't. So here it is. They're still confused about the kingdom. They're wondering when this, this king is actually going to take over but Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. And if you realize all the way through this time, they've had the Holy Spirit at times. But what Jesus says, you're going to have the Holy Spirit living in you. Because the Spirit living in you changes you. You're going to see. You're not even understanding all this right now. And then Jesus disappears. Can you imagine? Prepared them for this again. They're all gathered around. They're listening to these words. They're excited maybe even about this, this promise of power. And poof. Oh boy. Where, where is he? 
Where is he? What do the leaders do in Acts chapter 1, verse 14? They all met together, the leaders, and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So when Jesus left, they didn't know what to do. So they gathered together, and they began to pray. I'm not going to land here for a while, but I want you to keep remembering this. They began to pray, and they kept praying, and they kept praying. Then 10 days later, again, Jesus was clear, stay here, stay here until the Holy Spirit comes. So in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Oh, this is so good. If you have never read Acts, I hope you leave. The first thing you do this afternoon is read that book. Because it will blow your mind. It just will. All right? There's nothing like this. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Verse 2. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. At that time, there were devoted Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by these believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are. And, and then they list all the nations. But you guys already know my strength is not pronouncing nations. Okay? So we're just going to skip that part and just guarantee that there's a lot of nations there. Okay? And we go down to verse 11. And we hear all these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. Picture it. They've been waiting. They've been praying. They've been kind of separate. What's this Holy Spirit thing going to look like? How's it going to be so evident to us? How are we really going to know that this Spirit is around and filling us? Oh, a sound happens. Fire. All right? Fire. I don't know what this means. And we all see, little, I don't know, little smokestacks, little bonfires above the head. Fire. I don't know. But it's pretty evident. Because the next thing they know, they're speaking in foreign languages. This gift was given to all the Hebrew believers right there so they could talk about God to all the folks that were gathered. Everyone heard in their native tongue, and they knew it was God. Now again, I'm going to keep reminding you, when the Spirit controls you, there is no doubt that people know it's not you. Now, if you're a really big creep, that's easy. But some of you are so delightful. At least one of you. All right? 
And so when the Spirit fills you, it, it may not look a little different. But for most of us, it's radically different. Now let me pause for one moment right here. Keep your finger right there. But we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And I just want to be honest with you. It, it, for the most part in the evangelical church, it's been rather sad. Because most churches will kind of skip around the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. In fact, when you talk about the Holy Spirit in many churches, it's more divisive than it is empowering. So let me give you a cursor, a, a basic understanding of what the Holy Spirit is and how amazing the Spirit is. Acts is the book of beginnings. Everything that you read in Acts is basically radically new. God is birthing his church. The kingdom at this moment is moving forward at a great pace because of the Holy Spirit. Acts is a documentary, not the standard nor the norm for believers. It was a unique time demanding extraordinary ways and means. It doesn't mean that some things might not look the same, but most of the things probably won't. Such as when you did become a man or a woman of faith, when you understood God's grace and you received him as Savior, my guess is most people did not see fire above your head. I'm just saying. Now, if you have, that's cool. I, I've never seen it. All right? So we can learn much from Acts, but our story and experience may look slightly different. Now, right here in Acts chapter 2, it tells of the Spirit filling or indwelling Jewish believers. Now, if you're new to this study of the Bible thing, you're going to think that even some of the things I'm saying are, are, are quite prejudiced, all right? And I'm not trying to be. I'm trying to help us understand what the first century and what the culture kind of looked like. The Jews, they were a proud bunch. They were God's special people, and they let everybody know it, okay? I just want you to know. And so they were pretty um, high, had a high opinion of themselves for the most part. But God is going to make a statement in the book of Acts about all the races and how gracious he is. So in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God falls on all Jewish believers. All right? Then we go to Acts chapter 10, and you can write this down. We're not going to talk, and uh, we're not going to go over uh, uh, every detail here, but it's important for you to at least get this and understand a little bit of it. In Acts chapter 8, it shares the story of Samaritans getting the Spirit. Now, what had happened in Jerusalem up to this time is there's a great persecution. And it drove the believers to go into all the world, realistically. And some of them, Philip in particular, went to the land of Samaria. And he began to preach, all right? And when he preached, there was a great response and great joy. 
But let me remind you just a little bit about the Samaritans. The Jews hated them. They were basically half-breeds to them. They were unloved by the Jews. So for Philip, a Jew, even going to Samaria, that was really odd. And then all of a sudden, people started responding to the good news of the kingdom. And oh boy, it started blowing peop our, our Hebrew people's minds. Well, the Jerusalem church hears of this. And they literally send the two big cheeses, Peter and John. Go check it out. I, I, don't, I don't believe that Samaritans are believing. I don't get this. Why would they believe? Why would God do something like this? And the scriptures tell us in Acts chapter 8. Look at starting in verse 14. 8, 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for those new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on these believers, and they received the Spirit. So right now, so far in the book of Acts, the Jews have the Spirit of God living in them. Now the Samaritans have the Spirit of God living in them. And if you turn to Acts chapter 10, it tells us a story of the Spirit filling or the indwelling of Gentile believers. Now again, if they thought that the Samaritans would never get the Spirit or become part of the kingdom, oh boy. Jews did not like the Gentiles. They just didn't. And a Gentile is anyone who is not a Samaritan or a Jew. That's probably a majority of us right here. Okay? So we're not well liked by those Christians in the first century. But what happens, Peter, a very interesting story. Again, you're going to have to read it. But he goes up to this rooftop about noon one day to pray. You're going to find out how prayer how much prayer is important in, in Acts. So he goes up, which has seemed probably a normal thing, about noon, right before lunchtime, and he starts talking to God. And what God does is he does something supernatural and sends Peter a vision. It's an odd vision. It's this kind of like white sheet coming down, and, and as it lands, all the unclean foods are on this sheet, like pork chops. All right. Now, again, you may enjoy pork chops. In fact, maybe today you're going to go grill some pork chops. I, I get that. But to a Jew, <laughs> uh, pork chops were like, you don't eat pork chops. All right. Or pork sausage or bacon. I don't know how they made it. But, but they couldn't eat those things. They were unclean. But this vision comes down. And God says, Pete, eat. Now, can you imagine Peter? He's still there. No, God, I'm not listening to you today. I'm just letting you know I always obey the law. <coughs> Peter, I'm showing it to you again. Eat. Uh, excuse me, God. Excuse me. I don't do that stuff. After a third time, 
And again, anytime the scripture repeats anything, it's always for emphasis. So here's three times. Peter's slow, okay? We're slow, I'm slow, but he's really slow at this moment, all right? Peter finally gets it. In Acts chapter 10, look at verse 28. Peter told them, You know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me, three times, that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Jump over to verse 34. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. Folks, this coming out of his mouth is a miracle. This shows that the Holy Spirit is controlling Peter at this moment. Because he would never, ever say this. Verse 35, in every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news to the people of Israel. And that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Peter finally gets it. But what's so cool is that the Gentiles finally get the spirit if you jump down to verse 44 even as peter was saying these things the holy spirit fell on all those who were listening to his message and look at this verse 45 the jewish believers who came with peter were amazed that the gift of the holy spirit had been poured out on the gentiles too oh. This is crazy. This is absolute crazy. And that, as you read through, and again, we can talk more about that in the future. But realistically, right now, the book of Acts is shouting and saying, hey, the Holy Spirit is going to indwell anyone, any race who comes to faith in Jesus. Now, let's go back to Acts chapter 2. We're there. The Jews are hearing the good news. Peter himself in Acts chapter 2 lets him know, you know, that the Holy Spirit was predicted. This was going to happen. It was going to happen in a magnificent way back in the prophet Joel chapter 2. But it's in verse 17 of chapter 2 in Acts, if you want to follow. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit among all people. We're going to talk about that in a second. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy or preach. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike. That was shocking to them. And they will prophesy or speak forth God's word. And I will cause wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before this great and glorious day that the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then he goes on and preaches. Verse 22. People of Israel, these are the Jews, remember. Listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, signs through him, as you well know. Most of these people had seen it. It's been only 50 days since Jesus rose from the dead. Their memories are short, but not that short. All right? And then verse 23. But God, 
knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. Peter's quite bold here, right? Now, just less than two months ago, he's around a fire. And there's some people. Hey, you're one of Jesus' disciples. No, I'm not. Hey, you're one. No, I'm not. Finally, a little girl comes up to him. Hey, you're a... No, I'm not. I'm not. I don't know the guy. Wow. Peter is now preaching unbelievably bold. Something is really different. And I want to pause one more time here because this is huge. Peter and the disciples are completely different people in 50 days. They just are. You can read all the way through the Gospels and you start reading in Acts and you're going, something is, something is really odd, okay? Now, ask the question, why? I think there's a few reasons. First of all, Jesus did spend another 40 days, the scriptures tell us in Acts chapter 1, convincing them that he was alive. Isn't that interesting? Like, Jesus rose from the dead. The last time that they had seen him, he was so mutilated, could hardly even be recognized as a human being. Then he kept showing up. You would think that would be convincing. And then they gathered and prayed for 10 days. So Jesus spent time with them, reassuring, then left. Then for 10 days they met and all they did was pray. Interesting. And then the Holy Spirit came, filled them, and controlling them. I'm going to say something a little bold myself. I think this might be the key to life and ministry. And again, there's so many times that people will come to me or will, will chat, you know, Rick, I just don't think God is very real. You know what? I don't see any fruit in my ministry. Or you know what, God, this Christian, or Rick, this Christian life that God has planned for us just doesn't seem to be working well for me. And I wonder, I wonder if maybe... We're just not spending time with Jesus, learning from him. I'm wondering if community prayer isn't that big of a deal. And honestly, I still don't understand that here. I know we come together once a month and pray as a church. And I, honestly, I don't understand why people aren't lining up to get in here. I, I don't. I'm not mad. I just don't think we understand how critical this is for the life of our church and for us. We treat it casually. Like sometimes we treat spending time with Jesus casually. And then thirdly, they were controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now again, I, I know you're going to get sick of this diagram here. But this diagram I use more than any diagram in the ministry. 
as I chant with people and try to encourage them in their walk and their relationship with God. There's a handout in there again, and I would just, well, <laughs> you probably need to look at it straight up, but, but I just want to encourage you. They were controlled by the Holy Spirit. Every believer at the time of their faith has the Holy Spirit come and live in them. It doesn't mean that the, con that the Spirit is controlling you, all right? What happens as soon as any believer sins, it severs that relationship with God. You don't lose your salvation. You don't. So when a believer comes to faith, he immediately goes into two circles, a blue one and a green one. Now, again... Nowhere in the Bible is this diagram. I'm letting you know. But it really helps me understand. The blue one, you never lose. You're always a son or you're a daughter of God. But what happens in your walk, in your relationship? You're connected and disconnected. You're led by the Spirit. You're not led by the Spirit. You're in fellowship at times. You're not in fellowship at times. So what makes you in fellowship or out of fellowship? It's sin. When we rebel against God, it breaks a relationship. You're still the son. But then you come into this black circle, or you're outside of God's fellowship. You cannot bear fruit. You will not enjoy being spirit-led because you aren't spirit-led. You just aren't. So you can go in and out of this circle numerous times a day, an hour. And that's why dealing with our sin is so critical. When we walk with God, when we're controlled by the Spirit, we will look different. We will forgive others differently. We will love others differently because the Spirit of God has control of us. But some of us like living the Christian life without being Spirit-controlled. Yes, the Spirit lives in you. But you try to be kind to others and you're not doing so well. You try to forgive folks, <laughs> it's really hard. You're trying to be loving, oh boy, that, that's a tough one, you know, serving others. So realistically, what happens is that believers who have the Spirit of God living in them, it's amazing, it's amazing, need to... Allow the Spirit to work in their lives. The only way that can happen is if they're clean or if they've confessed their sins and they're controlled by the Spirit. So confession restores or reconnects. 1 John 1, 9 should be one of the first verses anybody memorizes as a believer. For if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us or to restore that relationship. Oh, that's exciting. Obedience allows control. That's why sin is such a big deal. Okay, back to the story. This is so good. In Acts chapter 2, we're going to go to verse 32. Acts chapter 2, verse 32. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Jump down to verse 36. 
So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you've crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Verse 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts. Oh, this is starting to make sense. Then he gives an invitation. Verse 38, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then, circle, underline, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is a promise to you, to your children, and those who are far away, all who have been called by our Lord God. How cool is this? We read just a little bit later that 3,000 people respond to that message. 3,000 people now have the Spirit of God living in them. 3,000 people, they've just begun the church. The church is born. Well, in Acts chapter 3, the scriptures tell us as we go through there, Peter and John, again, the two big cheeses, are just going to the temple to pray. That's all they're doing. Outside the temple, there's a beggar. Very common. And the beggar asks for money. And Peter and John, it's, it's, it's amazing. He goes, well, you know what? I don't have any money. I don't know if they really were poor or they just didn't have their wallet. I, I'm not sure. But he says, I'll tell you what I will do. I will heal you in the name of Jesus. So get up and walk. <laughs> Jesus heals this man. And all of a sudden, everybody gets all excited. Everyone gets all riled up. What are you doing? Where's the magic? What's going on? And Peter just looks at him and, and preaches boldly. He says, why are you so surprised? Jesus did this before he left. And in the name of Jesus, we healed this man. So you repent, repent. Verse 19 and 20 of chapter 3. You want this spirit of God not to just heal people, but do you want to be transformed? Do you want... You can come to faith. The story continues in Acts chapter 4. By now, Peter and John are confronted by the religious... They don't even like what's going on, and they toss Peter and John in jail for the evening. And they say, you know what? We don't like you in the synagogue. We don't like you at the temple. We don't like you teaching this stuff. We certainly don't like you healing people. So we're tossing you in the clink. The scriptures tell us in Acts chapter 4 that after all this happened, 2,000 more people came to faith. So the church is now up to 5,000 people. People, God is working. And literally, Peter and John the next day are brought before this religious council. The same council that brought Jesus before them just a few months before. And they ask Peter and John, by what power or in whose name have you done this? And the scriptures say this in Acts chapter 4. Peter, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, boldly answers. Again, this is not timid Peter, and this is not normal Peter. This is Peter, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, absolutely different and bold. And then in Acts chapter 4, 
verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now listen to this part, this verse 13. The members of the council were amazed. They were, they were unbelievably shocked. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no scriptural or special training in the scriptures. All they knew is that they recognized these men who had spent time with Jesus. How cool is that? They weren't theological. They didn't go to seminary. They were normal fishermen. And they had spent time with Jesus, failed most of the time at that experience. But they listened. And at this time, they waited for the Spirit to indwell them. Their lives were absolutely different. They were bold. And the authorities just said, okay, I, I don't know how to explain this except... You spent a lot of time with Jesus. That is amazing. Jesus changes lives. And then they basically said, I don't want you preaching anymore. I don't want you teaching anymore. Peter and John, you just go back and you just be quiet. <laughs> Again, they were just put in jail. They don't know what's going on. But Peter says this, we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. He was controlled by the Spirit. He says, we can't obey man. We have to obey God. We're going to just keep talking about this man that changed my life. I'm just letting you know. He's changing everyone around. There's 5,000 new people whose lives have been changed. And if you were with us just a few weeks ago when we talked about the demoniac whose life was radically changed, all Jesus said was the same thing. Go back home and tell everybody what I did in your life. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was a crazy man, naked, full of scars, kept stabbing myself. Now I met Jesus. Whoa, turn my life around. That's the story. It's so different. The Spirit then indwells you. The Spirit then empowers you. And you start talking about all the things that God has done. And then what's so cool, John and Peter, they returned back to the believers. They heard the report, and look at Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 29. Well, before I read that, they come back to the believers. I did not sense. Oh, poor Peter. Poor John, you were in prison. Oh, I'm so sorry you had to suffer. I'm so... Oh, oh are you okay? How about... Hey, why don't you sit down and have some blueberry pie with us? I, I didn't sense that. I think they were so excited what God was doing and how the Holy Spirit had transformed them. And they... Just listened. And they began to pray. Listen to this prayer of this early church. 
Verse 29 of chapter 4. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stop there. Bring it on. We want to be in the front lines. We need to be bold. People's lives are at stake here. They are being transformed. How cool is this? Verse 30, Lord, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And look what happened in verse 31. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. And they are all filled slash controlled by the Spirit. And they preached the word with boldness. What do we pray for on Tuesday nights when we meet as a church? That we preach the word with boldness. That's what we pray about. Among other things. God desires to change people's lives and has given every one of us an assignment to be able to share boldly what Jesus has done for us. So many of us are quiet because we don't know all about the Bible. True. I don't either. And maybe you don't have your Hebrew and Greek. All right. Yeah, okay. And maybe you haven't gone and said, oh, okay. No seminary. <laughs> I get it. But you know what? You're completely different people when Jesus has come into your life and you are listening and responding. Oh, the place shook, and they continued to preach boldly. Oh, what did we learn today? First of all, believers have the Holy Spirit living in you. But not all believers have the Spirit controlling you. This is the adventure that we talk about. Listening to God and doing his assignments with God's power. This is a daily transformation of what happens in your life. As the Spirit spends time with you and convicts you and teaches you and chips away all the things that don't reflect God very well. The Spirit brings boldness so that you can't stop telling others what God has done. No one is asking you to go to a street corner. But in all of your normal day activities, as you go, make disciples. Oh, we have a message that transforms us. And we can let people know, I met Jesus. I was dead, now I'm alive. I met Jesus, and I have an opportunity to share and proclaim what he's doing in my life. And I have seen not only myself change, but other people who have changed. You can't stop telling what God has done. And lastly, corporate prayer is a big deal. It is. And you can be mad at me. 
and you can tell me how important other things are. And I'm pretty sure there's other folks meeting corporately at times of prayer. But I'm letting you know the second Tuesday of every month, corporate prayer is a big deal here at Cross Point. We're going to continue our worship now. And we're going to ask God, do what you want to do in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we look at that early church and we somehow put them in a box and say that that, that can't happen here. And we know, God, it can happen here. Because you are alive. And you live in every one of us who calls you Lord. And, and you control every one of us who confess our sin. And you bear fruit. And you empower and you gift. Oh God, we ask you to do a work in us and through us. Would we deal with sin re relentlessly? Confess. Listen. And enjoy abundant living. In Jesus' name.